you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, this is God's Word. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift? Or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, 
And then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets, Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This chapter is titled, Seven Woes, because Jesus repeatedly, Jesus repeatedly says, almost as if a musical chorus, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you. We've said that if you look at the timetable here, what was going on was moving rapidly in less than a week's time, just a matter of a few days, from the people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to the people saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus would be crucified on that day. He knew this. He told his disciples ahead of time that it was going to happen. Other people also heard him say that he would be crucified and that he would rise again from the dead. And that's why his enemies came and said, we need to, seal the tomb and post a guard because 
This man said he was going to rise from the dead. It would be terrible if that were to uh, be believed. It would be the truth. These people were not interested in truth. And so Jesus, knowing all of this, says some things that, well, let's just say, most of us would say kind of rude, over the top, unkind. It, It would be sort of like, Well, let's just see what some of the phrases are. He says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Hmm, that's that's hurtful. Blind fools, blind men. Blind guides. Blind Pharisee. That that definitely comes across as negative, doesn't it? Um, He says, you're a bunch of snakes. Poisonous snakes. He says, you're like a bunch of tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside, you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus says, of these religious leaders, I mean, these were the people religiously at the top of the pyramid. This is like the College of Cardinals, a lot like the College of Cardinals, in fact. Jesus calls them all these things. And I'm sorry, but in our culture, including church culture, we just think that's not okay to talk that way. You just don't say that, even if it's true. My um, dad's cousin came to see us shortly before she died. She was about the color of these pants. You can't see, they're green. She was dying of cancer. She was a Christian scientist. And as a devout Christian scientist, she did not believe that illness was real. She believed that it was just an illusion. Sickness and other negative things like sin aren't real don't exist. It's just false thinking. Would it have been unkind to say, Lois, you're green? I mean, she didn't believe in sickness, so who are we to question her reality? Her reality was not reality. Her belief was founded not on Scripture, but on Mary Baker Eddy's Science and Health with the Key to the Scriptures. I visited the 
reading room in Cambridge, Massachusetts on Harvard Square back in the 1970s, I suppose, may have been late 60s. And I went in and it was an era when everybody was especially sensitive to young people and wanting to treat us like we mattered. And uh, I, I went in and I started just kind of walking around and, and the lady who was in charge of the reading room said, may I help you? She was very lovely like every other Christian scientist I've known. And I said, well, I said, I see you have a number of Bibles here. And she said, yes. And I said, do you believe that the Bible is true? And she said, well, of course. And I said, really? I said, well, then I understand in your faith, you don't believe in the reality of sin or hell. Um, am, am I correct in my understanding? That? She said, yes, we, we don't believe that's real. And I said, so you don't believe that anybody is going to end up in, in a lake of fire forever? And she said, oh, no, of course not. And I said, well, then, since you believe the Bible's true, and I opened one for her and pointed to the passage where it says that he will say to them in that day, depart from me into everlasting darkness. And I said, what does this mean? Lovely little lady. I'd say she was probably in her 60s. And she said, get out, get out, get out, get out. And I left. What happened there? Well, she didn't like hearing the truth. She didn't want to know the truth. She wasn't seeking after truth. She was running from truth. And she was leading other people to believe lies. This morning I got an email from a precious friend whose in-laws are prominent religious people. And they are celebrating their daughter's coming out as a lesbian in her mid-teens. The mom, who's pastor of a large church, thinks it's wonderful. She's so proud of her girl. Father, who's also a pastor, thinks it's just great. And my friends are absolutely heartbroken because how do you, how do you reach folks who claim to believe the Bible, but whenever the Bible says something they don't like, they have a different meaning for it? How do you deal with that? Well, Jesus took a few examples here. Woe to you, verse 16, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. 
Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So was Jesus here giving instruction on how we ought to swear? Or was Jesus simply exploding the facade of a bunch of religious hypocrites who tried to make themselves look like they were authorities when their arguments didn't even make sense. Jesus called them blind. And that is the truth. And Jesus had already warned the crowds. A blind man leading others is just going to land everybody in the ditch. So Jesus starts out this series by saying, oh, you need to do everything they say, but don't do what they do because they don't do what they say. One of the hallmarks of these phony baloney teachers is that they didn't practice what they preach. Shame on them. That's terrible. How many of us are in danger of falling into that same trap. That hypocritical trap of asking of others that which we are not ourselves willing to to do. Jesus said, their brand of religion is false. So we can look at what other people are doing in this regard and say, man, there's a lot of false religion out there, and there has been all along. It was in the Old Testament, it was here in the time of Christ, and it's happened since. And that would be an accurate statement. But if that's all we get out of this, is these are the bad guys, shame on them, then we haven't really listened to what Jesus says. Are we guilty of hypocrisy? Say, well, no, I'm not an authority figure. I'm a student here at the ranch. Do you hold other people to a standard that you yourself don't fulfill? Students, do you expect of the adults Total compassion and patience at all times. How do you treat your roommate? How do you treat that other person who lives across the hall? Well, I'm not one of the adults. I'll hopefully grow into that. But meanwhile, they need to always be patient with me. Okay, I want them to be patient with you. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but... I want you to realize that you need to be patient and that when you're not, you need to apologize. 
You want people to treat you with respect. Do you treat them with respect? No, Jesus didn't treat these people with respect. Actually, Jesus was being kind to these people. Jesus knew that these people were about to kill him, and he simply, clearly, emphatically, bluntly told them what their problem was. He could have just as easily looked at them and sent fire from his eyes and turned them into little piles of ash. That would have been harsh. But it certainly would have been just. There literally have been times in my life that I've looked back on and thought, it's amazing God didn't kill me. I mean, it's utterly amazing that he didn't kill me. And one of those times was when I was on my knees praying a stupid prayer to him. I had failed to do what the Holy Spirit prompted me to do. And that night when I was having my devotions, kneeling at the foot of my bed, I realized the Lord was prompting me to share the gospel with that kid. I didn't do it. And so instead of saying, God, forgive me, I said, and Lord, if you wanted me to talk to that boy today, I'm sorry I didn't do it. If you want me to still talk to him, he's got to be at the Barker's house when I go down there tomorrow. And I'm not going to start the conversation. He's going to have to start the conversation with me. And I'm not going to try and turn it to spiritual things. He's going to have to do that. It's about as stupid a prayer as anybody could pray. If that's the way I'm praying, why would God want me to be the guy to share the gospel with that kid? What a moron I was. I mean, just idiotic. I'm telling the God who rules the universe, who sent his son to die on the cross to save a wretch like me, the conditions under which I will agree to do what he already told me to do, and I blew it. If my parents had come and just found a little pile of cinders at the foot of the bed the next morning, it would have been totally just. They would have wondered what happened, but it would have been totally just. But as some of you have heard the story, I went down to the Barkers early the next morning before the Barkers were up and about, and that boy was sitting on their back porch, his feet on the driveway, already there, condition number one. As I came into view, he called up the hill and said, hi, Jim, how are you? Condition number two. I said, fine, thanks. Came down. We started talking, and then, as I've told you before, he abruptly changed the conversation and said, how can I be born again? Now, the reason I remind you of that story is, on the one hand, to say, when I read about these guys and what jerks they were, I see myself, because I can be a jerk. Hopefully, 
I've grown a lot since my teen years, and those were my teen years. But I still have an old sin nature that can be greedy and self-indulgent. Oh, I'm not out to try and make the hundred million billion dollar greed type accumulation. But I still look at the cookie sheet and think about which cookie looks the most appealing. And my next thought is not, I'll give it to so-and-so. My thought is, well, I made the cookies. It's only fair that I get the choice one. That's, that's greed. It is, it's greed. Well, it's just a cookie, for goodness sake. You're not building a room onto the house to fill with cookies. No. But the problem is, if I'm putting myself ahead of others, instead of putting others ahead of myself, I'm still behaving like these guys. And self-indulgence? Well, I just said, cookies. These blind fools were hostile toward God. They were religious professionals. They were outwardly religious. But they hated. They hated God. And as a result... They were continuing the tradition. Verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. They're about to kill Jesus. But even though they're about to kill Jesus, they're saying, oh, we would never do that. We would never do that. Again, if you and I read about what others do wrong and we don't get honest about our own capacity for the same root sin, then we're not understanding the passage correctly. You say, we would not have. He said, verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers, and some of them you'll kill and crucify, others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that's been shed on earth. All this, verse 36, will come upon this generation. What's his next statement? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. 
but you are not willing. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. The invitation goes out to all. And the universal response of humans is to say, no, no, I want to be my own God. I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. I want to have it my way. I want to be in charge. Don't correct me. Don't instruct me. I know what I want, and I'm going to have it. One of the people who would chase folks from town to town and persecute them was a Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. He definitely was part of this group described. He was a leader. When the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was being murdered, Saul held everybody's coats and he gave consent to what they were doing. And so God wrote him off. No? So God saved him. Saved him. How'd that happen? Stephen perfectly communicated the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. His face shone like that of an angel. And Saul said, yeah, he deserves to die. And then from there, began rounding up all the Christians he could find and persecuting them. And God said, I've chosen that man not only to be forgiven, but to be my instrument in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He called them a bunch of snakes. Yes. He called them blind fools. Yes. He said they were guilty. Yes. And yet, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I can't see your hearts. I can't even see your future. But I'll tell you this, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've messed up, whether you've been one of the outwardly religious or one of the people that the outwardly religious would scorn, God offers grace. God reaches out in love and says, whosoever will may come. Well, I thought God chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. He did. But meanwhile, he doesn't say, no, 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 no. Anybody who wants to come, you're invited. 
You're invited. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, unfair! You're invited. I carry in my Bible a card from the management at the Marco Island Hilton where I took my family some years ago and we stayed in a lovely place on the beach using my Hilton Honors Points, which I'd been accumulating for years. It was a great place to have a sabbatical. I was working on a project for St. Andrew's School. And uh, first night there, out by the pool, there was this marvelous buffet table filled with fabulous food and beverages that were very enticing. And I went up to the person who was kind of managing the table and I said, is this for everybody or is this just a private thing? And they said, it's, it's just for those who are invited. And I said, okay, thank you. And I went on out on the beach with my family, and we got something inferior later that I had to pay for. The end of the week, I'm taking my various pieces of paper that they gave me when I checked in and pitching them because I don't need them now. They're instructions about Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I saw this piece of paper. And it was an invitation for those Hilton Honors guests who were in the upper tier like I was to the manager's buffet out by the pool. I was invited. My family was invited. That was for us. But not if you ignore the invitation. Not if you don't pay attention to what the one in charge is telling you. I missed it. My family missed it. Because I didn't take time to read the words. Please. Do not overlook the invitation that has been issued to you. Let's pray. Father, there's no hope apart from Jesus. And yet Jesus says, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Come and drink freely of the water of life. Come. Grant that we who are called by your name would not be like the Pharisees who shut other people out and failed to enter in ourselves. Lord, grant that we who are called by your name would truly be your people. Walk in your ways and do what you say. Thank you, Jesus, for telling the truth. Thank you, Jesus, for being the truth. For doing what you said. And not only dying for our sin, 
but conquering death for us. We long for your return. Maranatha, come quickly, Jesus. Amen. Do we have anybody reciting?